All right, a little three-man weave as we talk hoops. Sam Snelling and Jared Sutton are both with us and uh, talked to both of you fellas uh, a couple of months ago over the course of the season, and um, I'm told we've got uh, some football takes. So, Jared, the floor is yours. Um, you guaranteed a Chiefs victory before the, before the Super Bowl. You said uh, some people just don't know what it's like to root for a team of superhumans, and you said – Anyone backing Tom Brady and the Buccaneers can pound sand. I believe I, I don't yeah. want to waste time checking the, the tape, but uh, I, I think it was something like that. Yeah, I might throw the challenge flag on uh, on those comments. You're such an flag. abrasive personality to begin with. <laughs> well, exactly right. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've been trying. I appreciate you bringing up the Super Bowl because I've been trying to avoid talking about the Super Bowl at all costs. Um, rather, uh, rather painful we're moving on we signed a uh, offensive lineman yesterday so uh you know we're on the up and up right um congrats i think we're yeah we're moving forward we're not running it back but uh i i definitely uh the, the mood in kansas city over the last like month has been deflation and i think like the ncaa tournament with two of the local schools here in kc being in the tournament i think it's finally giving something to talk about and bobby wood jr's turn up spring training to go go baseball route so there's some positives here in KC there's something to be said when disappointment for a fan base is losing in the Super Bowl when unquestionably the best player in the league is on your team for a long time moving forward <laughs> yeah I think it was just the fact of him just running for his life the whole game that was just... right but I mean like you're in a good spot right like right. no question. think about Mizzou fans and the disappointment that that we deal with at the end of uh at the end of of most campaigns a little bit different mm-hmm no question. Yeah, I think it, the fact, too, of like how football works with getting it right with the quarterback position, as we all know, is the most important thing in the NFL to have a, a guy like Patrick, who's who's still really young, who restructures contract, which I'm, I'm happy to, to see he did. Kelsey did. Chris Jones did to kind of open up. And I guess, you know, that that free money is is being thrown around a lot just because like what is the salary cap right now in, in the National Football League? It's pretty wild. Um, what yeah, the done. Bears but, might just not have a quarterback next year that's kind of what it seems like well and yeah when you start thinking about some of these other you know teams that are they just had a quarterback they might be looking at you know playoff scenarios and they might be thinking more about a super bowl and for us to just be in the conversation every year because of patrick is uh is pretty special it's it's um a feeling that we're not really used to and we've kind of had to grown grow accustomed to over the last three years of, of just him being such a, a dominant force at the quarterback position. Snelling, Jarrett just went us and we. That's right. <laughs> I mean, well, so you guys are off talking about like the NFL and as a uh, as a native St. Louisan who knows all too well what it's like to lose to Tom Brady. Um, I I really don't have a lot to add. I, I think Tom Brady might single-handedly be uh, or, or at least have an equal share in why St. Louis no longer has a football team along with uh, – I can't remember that guy's name. I think he was a Mizzou grad, actually. Just a terrible, awful human being. Stanley or something like that. But yeah. despite Tom Brady's malfeasances against Rams fans in the past, I mean, was that not the greatest watching him at the at the boat parade? Come on, man. Oh, that guy's God. the best. Avocado. No, he's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's another player? Hang on. This is a good question. Who's another player in sports that is – universally beloved by almost every other fan base except for one. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I don't do think you, there's I mean, a, do you think, like, do you I, think I, I guess Colts fans. Guy? 
I don't know. Like, I guess Colts fans don't really like him, but do Colts fans really like hate anyone? Like I know Rams fans hate Brady and, and for good reason, but um, is there anyone else that doesn't like Tom Brady? Well, so, I mean, I think Tom Brady actually has a lot of detractors mainly because of his ties to the Patriots. Like, I really think that the Patriots are one of the most disliked teams in the NFL for a lot of years. You think people jumped on board with Brady this year with the whole Tampa thing? I, I, I'm honestly probably the wrong guy to ask. Uh, yeah. Since the NFL left, I sort of wrote it off. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, like, I did not watch the Super Bowl. I do not. Sam's watch not happy NFL. with the start of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, like, you can go through my. I'm consistent on this. Once the NFL left St. Louis, I wrote the league off. I do not pay attention to the NFL. Chris, I think it's more so just the fact that, like, the way the Bucks got into the playoffs. The Saints beat them twice, and I don't think anybody thought the Bucs were going to get to the Packers NFC Championship game. Then they beat the Packers. And First of all, yep, and, and thanks for getting us back on track. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Keeping us on the, the NFL playoff. All right, let's break down that decision to pull the punt team off the field on fourth down at mid. No, no, it, they like Tom Brady was the underdog this year, kind of, even though the Bucks were really, really good. It's almost like, is he really the underdog, though? I think he was this year because I don't think anyone realized how good the rest of the Bucks were until Tom Brady went there, unless you're like a like a hardcore NFL fan. And it was the fact that the Chiefs went to Tampa in the regular season and just yeah. got out to – that was the game Tyreek Hill had like 290 yards receiving or something and two touchdowns. Um, maybe it was three touchdowns. I don't even remember. Stone, that. you want to check? Yeah, two or three. It was a good game. Well, in the first half, I think. Yeah. I think it was on the first half. Yeah, but I, I, I clearly <laughs> offensive line, left tackle, right tackle. You have to you – can, you can maybe get by with one of your left tackle or right tackles being out, but both of them out. Whoa, that uh, – that was a sight to see with uh, just every every play Mahomes just running around. Uh, I still think that throw he made when he was basically like <laughs> parallel to the field that hit a dude. That was sick. It's like my highlight of the Super Bowl, just how bad we were. Well, we're going to get back to the play scripting in a bit. Also, uh, <laughs> Sam wants to uh, get to his what he calls his value mock rounds four through seven of the NFL draft. But in all seriousness, it's great to have you guys. Who is the is there a college basketball team this year that is always good, is good this year, has really good players, but uh, or, or the program that, that is good at portraying themselves as an underdog? I guess Calipari always does that in terms of like at his press conferences when his team's ranked second in the nation. Be like, guys, we're just not that good. We're, these kids just aren't that good. And I get it because of the turnover they have. But, but who is a program that's really good as, as painting themselves as an underdog when, when they're really not? Hmm. Kansas. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be the easy one. Bill Self lo does love to kind of rag on his team, um, and it, he doesn't really like often call a lot of guys out individually. But he he will kind of go in on his team, like when they're yeah, you know, just like oh, we're you know early in the season, we're just not not that good, we're not there yet. And then you know, like I think he was kind of saying the same thing in the middle of the season this year when they when they fell out of the top twenty five for the first time in like fifteen years and. Um, yeah, and now they're a three seed. So, yeah, I think Bill, Bill tough Self, life. Bill Self's the master at that. I, I actually listened to him once Kansas got announced in the tournament. He had a press conference and he was saying this is the happiest he thinks he's been at a, on a selection Sunday. And I think I've heard him say that before. Um, so I, I, there, he's he's got a way with words with the media to motivate or to kind of uplift his team, especially if they're in a rut. I think Texas Tech would probably be in this conversation too a little bit. Chris Beard has been vocal at times. Um, 
publicly about his team. And it's just kind of funny because both those coaches resemble each other in ways with just their, their team's identity defensively. And that's, I think, why Kansas is where they're at uh, as a three seed. Their defense over the last six weeks has been really good. Um, and then Tech is a six seed, which I was kind of surprised by. Honestly, I don't know about, about you guys, but I thought I was a little bit of, of, of a surprise for me as, as, as seeing them on a six line. But um, they got some pieces too, but th- their defense is really what makes them go. And it's obviously what, what travels in, in March and how you win games in the tournament too. Well, I've got yeah, some I think takes like, on, on seeding please. for sure. <laughs> oh, and, and that's what I want. That, that's where I wanted to go and end up talking about Mizzou. But Sam, like, I guess I was hopeful, maybe naively, that getting to this point, things running smoothly, having a tournament, knock on wood, having things continue to run smoothly. It it was stupid to think that that would eliminate any of the typical gripes and and days that we spend examining the storylines of biggest snubs or who shouldn't have gotten in. Because fans are fans. I I don't blame anyone. But overall, how do you think kind of from top to bottom, big picture, the committee did this year, given the circumstances? Well, you know, I think overall it was, it was good. It, to, to me, my biggest gripe with the committee is uh, it, like they made a good decision a few years ago to switch to a more analytics based approach and in, in seating. Um, but I just think they, they kind of missed the mark uh, on, on the overall approach. Like I still think you have to start with results um, and, and start with results. And then once the results are, have given you your tiers, then you parse with, with the analytics, you know, just as an example, um, the analytics love Wisconsin, uh, and with good reason. I mean, they're, they're, they're a good basketball team, but I mean, when you're talking about seeding, and I actually think they kind of got Wisconsin, right. I think a lot of the, you know, the, the bracket pickers, uh, beforehand were kind of looking at Wisconsin as a possible like six, seven seed. And that's just entirely too high for, you know, a team that really had so many opportunities in the big 10 and the big 10 is a big reason why so many quad one. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, when you get that many opportunities and you're like, Oh, well they, they beat this team and they beat that team. I was like, well, yeah, they also were pretty, you know, below mediocre in, in quad one games. Um, So I think for me, like, the way that, uh, and obviously as a Missouri fan, I was a little bit more than peeved about the way that they pretty much ignored Missouri's record uh, in, in quad one games and gave them a nine seed. Um, you know, because I think for years they've looked at, okay, uh, who did you beat and where did you beat them as like one of the, the bigger keys uh, in, in seeding. And it just didn't look like it was applied. And they used the net ranking far more, which, and, and you know, to be completely fair to the committee, uh, Missouri is not a particularly efficient basketball team. I mean, all their, their wins are close wins. Um, you know, the kind of similar to Oklahoma in, in that respect, a, a lot of the numbers really, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Oklahoma, I mean, both teams kind of finished poorly. So I think that's, that probably plays a little bit of a role. You know, but at the, you also kind of look at like, okay, Oklahoma State, uh, the analytics don't really love Oklahoma State also, uh, but you can't deny their, uh, their success in quad one games. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're a team that has a lot of wins and beat a lot of teams. And, and again, playing in, in the Big 12 uh, helps you or 
just like it does in the Big Ten. So when you're playing in these power leagues, you're getting more opportunities. Uh, so what did you do with those opportunities? And I think, you know, Missouri, uh, by and large, capitalized. Um, and then the other thing that I think that when you discount um, some of these, these quad one games is you discount teams that are, that are working their way in scheduling outside of their own league. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, we look at Mizzou who scheduled Oregon. Uh, they, they always have Illinois in the schedule, um, you know, but they, they did schedule tough. They only had one quad four game. Um, you know, they only had, I think six, five or six quad three games. Uh, and like half of those were in league play and the other was scheduled through the uh, SEC big 12 challenge. Um, you know, so it's like, I, I think that Missouri, other than kind of struggling down the stretch, uh, if, if they probably could have flipped one or two more wins, maybe, um, you know, maybe they get up into like the six line or, or, or five line, which, um, but I think that this team as it was absolutely deserved, like at worst a seven and to see them drop to a nine was pretty disappointing. Yeah. Jared, because like as a player or as a part of, of a program, it had to be just crazy this year to think about all of the things that could happen and things that would be out of your control, right? Like look at SLU and like the fact that they couldn't play. And then when they came back at some point, who knows, maybe if they had one and one and one, they just wouldn't have had enough quad one opportunities. They wouldn't have had enough opportunities to, to get back in the mix. But if you're Mizzou, you're like, we beat Oral Roberts. We beat Oregon. We beat Wichita. We beat Illinois. And we shouldn't be penalized for those coming at the beginning of the year. I know the computers can say that one possession game, two possession game, you might expect some regression to the mean. You won the game. So why were those maybe discounted a bit? Or is it recency bias, the fact that they're all at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I think Sam hit on it because it's the same thought I had about just the committee. I thought did a relatively good job. I think some seating uh, I question just off of quad wins. I mean, if you look at Oklahoma State as a four, they had the second most quad one wins. And they were also trending in the right direction, to answer your question, about a team playing really well over the second half or that last part of the second half of the regular season, conference portion of the schedule. And then obviously in the Big 12 championship, uh, Big 12 tournament, they played really well uh, and had an opportunity to win the Big 12 championship, had a good game with Texas. And then I think Texas too, I mean, that – team is so intriguing to me because they got hit with COVID pretty hard as did Baylor. And I know all these, several of these teams obviously dealt with COVID. Everybody's dealing with it, but there are also programs that really seriously dealt with it as a spread through their locker room and really dealt with it. Coaching staff dealt with it. And Texas is one of those, those teams. I mean, they, they had games where Shaka couldn't coach because of COVID. Um, and they also had eight quad one wins and they won the Big 12 championship game. Uh, they are a three seed, so if I'm being picky, I kind of thought they might get a two, but um, three three makes sense. Um, so I, I think to answer your question, I mean, it's it's such a unique year. Um, you know, it was, it was a unique conference tournament slate of just Duke going out, Virginia going out, having those issues, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament with Kansas, you know, just deciding not to play. Obviously, they had a little bit of a scare with COVID. Jalen Wilson's not traveling now, and Tristan and Aruna – I mean, th this is kind of where we're at. Obviously, the news of the officials yesterday coming down. I mean, it just feels like you're holding your breath as we get to this NCAA tournament that's starting on Thursday with the playing games. Um, but I, I, I think for the most part, especially with coaches I've talked to throughout the year, I mean, they've at the beginning of the year, they were nervous about it. They were concerned about, are we going to even get to this part of the year? 
And that was a valid, valid concern and a valid, you know, question that everybody had in sports across the board. And then once we got into league play, it felt like teams were figuring it out. Players were taking everything very seriously. They were cautious, but you just couldn't, couldn't run from, from COVID. And, and that, that's just kind of how we, we've been as a society, right? And so the fact that we're in this place, we have a tournament bracket. Um, you know, I don't want to be too picky about so many things. I'm just happy we're, we're having this, right? And I really, really hope that we don't have any setbacks once we get into the tournament. And, and who knows? I mean, those teams that are sitting out that are kind of on pins and needles waiting to see if they're going to be a replacement team, they got to be ready too and follow guidelines and protocols. So it's definitely unique. Um, I put myself in a player's shoes too with just what I've heard about these players that it's not normal how they're dealing with off the court situations in their own campus and what they're doing with travel, um, getting ready for this NCAA tournament and what they were doing, getting ready for the conference tournament. I mean, it's, they're very much isolated and, and these are 17, 18, 19 year old kids. You know, there's some, there's some been a lot of conversation around the mental health part of this and confidence and, and guys that are, are getting kind of caught up in, in the other aspects of just what everybody's dealing with with COVID. Um, so it's been a challenge for everyone. And I think the coaches deserve a ton of credit for getting their teams to this place because they have had a ton of challenges, especially with scheduling, dealing with the conference rules and every conference had different rules and regulations. You're dealing with statewide regulations. So um, there's just so much that's gone into it. And I'm, I'm grateful for where we're at and I'm just hoping we can get to that national championship game with, with no setbacks. Hearing what some of the NBA and NHL players said when they came out of their bubbles and they were there a lot longer than, you know, the teams that end up in the final four will be, and they get paid handsomely, but just hearing what they talked about, I think until you've experienced that. And again, that's me guessing because I haven't experienced that kind of thing, but I, I hope that everything goes, goes smoothly over the next couple of weeks because uh, it, it has to this point and I, I have learned not to be presumptuous about anything, you know, coming to a, a complete conclusion over the last year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and to just, I think with, with each day, it was described to me like the challenge of COVID this year in basketball, like Lon Kruger was talking about, they had a big win and they had a lot of big wins back in December, January period. They, they like Missouri, like you said, have kind of had their, you know, ups and downs and, and have had their inconsistencies, but there for, for a stretch there, they had a couple of big wins and they had a, a, a pretty tough schedule. And, you know, he was talking about, we're just trying to win today. We're just trying to get through a practice. We're just trying to get everybody negative today. And you could tell he was not concerned at all about the game they just won or the game that they had in front of them from just like a preparation or scouting or, you know, film session or whatever it was that they had that day. He just was focused on trying to get everybody to the next day. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, is, you know, you're, you're focusing on your team and your program and winning games and having guys ready to play mentally, physically. And those have just taken us even more step forward of the challenge this year in particular uh, of getting your guys ready mentally and physically. And I do think I see it sometimes in guys, um, you know, I don't think we're going to be talking about Missouri and I see it a little bit with them with just fatigue. And I think that's physical and mental fatigue, but I've seen that with other teams too, teams that have had, you know, good wins and then they've had really bad losses and you, you see lack of energy. Well, I mean, the, the testing protocols and everything they're going through, and we're dealing with this on the NBA side. Um, you know, we've had NBA players that have, have talked openly about this publicly 
about just it's it's so different now with your commitment to just testing uh, when you're on the road you're in your hotel room you're not doing anything else and it's you're following all these guidelines and you're very much isolated um, everybody's going through it but it, it's it's what's making this such a challenge um, even when you get on the floor you know you got to be mentally prepared and, and quite quite frankly a lot of games not there's not been any fans in in arenas we're starting to see more of that we'll see a little bit more of that in the NCAA tournament which does make it a difference i was just at the big 12 tournament in, in kansas city and just you know a select 3000 4000 fans spread out it does make a difference i mean it it feels so loud in there cuz you're just not used to fans and i do think that sparked a lot of energy and i think that's why the games are really good in kansas city so I hope that's something to be seen in the NCAA tournament as well. I hope so, man. It'll be Saturday that Mizzou takes on Oklahoma as they go to Friday, Sunday, and then Saturday, Monday. Guys, it's it's crazy to look at Oklahoma's schedule and, like, again, looking past just the record. First of all, bizarre that they had, like, no quad two games, right? Uh, you saw a lot of uh, the cream of the Big 12 crop uh, last weekend, Jared. But, Sam, like, do you make much of a team's, like, recent form or the schedule of teams played to this point. Um, you know, they played Oklahoma state a couple of times. Uh, they've obviously played Kansas a couple of times, Texas, a couple of times. Well, what do you make of the Sooners uh, headed into this weekend? I mean, the, the way that they finished, obviously you're a little concerned about that um, going in, but I just, I mean, when you're talking about a coach as good as Lon Kruger is, and and I think Jarrett would probably agree with me that, I mean, he's one of the probably least talked about uh, truly great coaches in college basketball today. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I'm, I'm just a, a big fan of Lon and I even said on our own podcast, like last night that I think that uh, he's a, a guy that absolutely should be in the hall of fame um, at this point, considering what he's done at, at so many different places. Um, you know, but you also have to like so much of, of schedule has to uh, come down to, to context, right? Um, and so, you know, for example, everyone's talking about, oh, like, isn't it miraculous that Arkansas finished so strong? Uh, well, you know, the reason Arkansas started slowly in conference play was because their opening segment of the schedule was pretty brutal. Um, you know, like having to play uh, Tennessee, Alabama, having to play uh, Missouri, you know, when Missouri was obviously, you know, playing a lot better. Um, but, but when you're playing all the teams at the top of your, your league and, and when you're playing teams that are playing better, uh, like playing Oklahoma state right now is, is a lot harder to do, uh, than it was back in December. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that, I mean, obviously anytime you take the floor with Cade Cunningham, you're taking the floor with the best player, uh, in the game. Um, you know, but if you're, unless Mahomes is out there. <laughs> in the college basketball game. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, it That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Sorry. Continue. That's fair. <laughs> you know, so, so losing two close ball games uh, when the difference maker is Kate Cunningham. I mean, like that's not, that's not, those aren't bad losses, you know, and, and it's sort of, sort of like, you know, Missouri losing to, you know, LSU in, in, a, in a late game. Like that's not a bad loss when you're losing to a tournament team. Uh, in overtime and, and, you know, in, in a game that comes down to, to a few possessions. Um, obviously, you know, like you never want to take a bad loss and they have a very bad loss in their schedule. I mean, they, they lost uh, at Kansas state, you know, but I also don't think that you can, you know, look at the, 
I guess the way that teams maybe play on a nightly basis, you know, obviously we've seen Missouri, uh, you know, lose an ugly road game uh, here and there. Uh, it happens in conference play. Uh, SLU went on the road and lost to LaSalle. Like that's not a game that you're supposed to lose, but still teams lose these games. And I think like that's one of the things that makes college basketball and in particular league play um, so tough to sort of rank these, you know, good and bad losses is because like everybody in league play knows each other really, really well. And even though Kansas state had a bad year, uh, like Kansas state still has a really good coaching staff. They still have uh, a roster full of high major players. Uh, they're a little bit young this year, but, but that's the team that, that can put the scare in a lot of people and a team that, I mean, they, in the big 12 tournament fought off, uh, you know, Baylor for, for three quarters of the game before the rope slipped a bit. So I don't, I don't think Kansas or uh, excuse me, Kansas, uh, Oklahoma is a team that you can discount at all. I, I still think that they've got uh, enough, um, you know, with, with Austin Reeves and they've got, uh, they're a little soft inside, but uh, you know, but they're a team that, that they're so well coached. Uh, if, if, if you come out and miss a few shots early, that they'll be able to keep you at, at arm's length for a large portion of the game. Jared, from a matchup standpoint, What's Mizzou's biggest advantage potentially, and what's the biggest point of uh, potential vulnerability in your eyes? Yeah, I, th- I think when I look at Mizzou right now and where they're at, I mean, Jeremiah Tillman to me is still such an important piece from a matchup standpoint because I think when Jeremiah is good, it makes everything a lot better um, when he's doing things defensively, rebounding the ball at a high level, staying out of foul trouble, finishing at the rim, playing in pick and roll with Xavier Pinson allowing Pinson to get downhill, make plays and hit him in dunker spots and hitting, hitting him on the roll lobs uh, and getting him in single coverage. And then Jeremiah getting doubles, I think opens up other guys for cutters like Drew Smith is a really high IQ player that moves really well without the ball. Um, so I'll put it on Jeremiah Tillman, but I, I still think in this game, and I, I think what's interesting about this matchup is like we've said, Missouri and Oklahoma reflect each other pretty similarly in a lot of ways. Um, they got some older players, so when you look at Oklahoma, Austin Reeves, Brady Manick are, are those two older players that can do a lot of things and are going to be the two most important players probably on the floor. Elijah Harkless will be in there as well. Um, but they got experience and they got a guard and they got a big that can do things. And I think that that's what's interesting about the matchup is defensively, I'll be curious what Conzo goes with Mitchell Smith at times to guard on the perimeter because you know Brady Manick, they're going to try to bring Jeremiah Tillman out on the perimeter to guard on the perimeter. And I would think that there's going to be some some substitution patterns there. And I think Jeremiah Tillman's got to stay out of foul trouble in this game. It's really important. And then from a guard standpoint, this team is is so much better in transition. We know that when, when they push pace and they limit teams to one shot and, and they can get out and have live ball turnovers and, and have their defense lead to offense is when they can, you know, score points and, and set their defense and they can get a lot of confidence and they build and it's defense to offense and then they share and they have that balance. Um, when they struggle, they're not forcing turnovers. They're giving up, you know, offensive rebounds. They're not rotating defensively. They're not communicating. And I think this Oklahoma team, uh, they they are a very balanced team as well. I mean, they can score the ball. They got guys that can make shots. They can stretch the floor with Brady as a big shooting threes. Um, and defensively, I think Coach Kruger, I think he would say this is one of his better teams defensively at Oklahoma. Now, they have had ups and downs for sure. But they've won games on their defense, um, especially back in December. 
But that, that to me is where the, the game is going to be won and, and lost is the defensive side of the ball, which both these teams know they got to defend win. But it's also them executing on offense, uh, making perimeter shots, which, you know, is Mark Smith going to step up and make threes? What Mark Smith is going to show up? Are we going to get production from a Mizzou standpoint from Mitchell Smith, Javon Pickett? Does Conzo go to Torrance Watson a couple times? You know, what does that look like off the bench for Missouri, getting them production off the bench? So it's sort of like what team shows up for me. I mean, when, when you're saying who's, who's winning this matchup, it, I think Oklahoma would say the same thing. Like it depends on what team shows up. Um, and Jeremiah Tillman's got to be, but got to be good for this, this team. I, I think if they, if they have a chance to get through this opening round and you look to the next round, he's got to be really good. Xavier Pinson's got to be consistent and get downhill and be in attack mode. And then I think if this game is close, which I could see it very much being close, I could see it being a, somewhat of a slugfest in the 60s. I, I, that, could be, that could be the case, especially in Lucas Oil with depth perception and guys can struggle to make shots in an opening round game like that. I think when you look at closing games out, who's got to have the ball late in the game, it's got to be Drew Smith. I mean, I think he's earned that late in games. He's an older player. We saw him hit a shot against Florida that won them a game, a much needed win, obviously now that you, that you look at it, but he's got to be the guy probably late that has the ball in his hands in some sort of isolation, give, getting him space to work. And I think that would be your late game scenarios there, but it's going to be a good matchup. I'm, I think if you're just a college basketball fan in general and don't have a tie to Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Missouri, it's, it's a good game to watch in that eight, nine line, especially looking ahead of who's might play Gonzaga or I know the committee did this, put Norfolk state. I hate to bring it up, but I know the committee <laughs> did that and I know why they did it. Let's just say that. Yeah, Sam, I think the last time we talked, you mentioned turnovers and, you know, extra opportunities, extra possessions for your opponent. And if you're, well, I guess Mizzou and Oklahoma, I think the last time I looked Oklahoma's, Defensive rebound percentage was like around 72%. Mizzou is a shade under that at 71.5%. There could be, especially with with the turnovers, there could be a lot of extra opportunities. And if one side gets those and takes advantage of those, maybe there is like an early run, like Jared alluded to. Well, I think like the the biggest indicator for me, uh, like how um, efficiently Missouri is able to kind of generate offense is their two-point percentage. And and when they're when they're going well, they are kind of getting those, those uh, you know, primary and secondary break opportunities. When they're getting on the floor and running, you're, you're finishing with guys, you're finishing with, uh, you know, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, uh, Javon Pickett, getting out and running um, and, and, and being able to, to finish those as opposed to, you know, contested two-point shots uh, in the half court. So if teams are able to kind of limit what Missouri – does in transition and they have to kind of go to the half court, then you, you get more like the pick and roll offense with, with Xavier Pinson or excuse me, Xavier Pinson. Um, I don't know about, about you guys, but uh, Chris <laughs> Mack like hammered Xavier as the way to pronounce uh, that, that school like enough in, in press conferences that now I, I like, I can't even say Xavier's uh, <laughs> name correctly anymore, but, um, but I don't know when that started. <laughs> because shout out to St. Francis Xavier uh, in Wilmette, Illinois, where I went to grade school. We never called it Xavier. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think there was just a couple uh, media people that that said Xavier, and and Damn, fake so news. listening to Chris Mack is just like, no, it's it's Xavier, it's Xavier. Uh, so so now, like like you know, poor Xavier uh, Pinson. I can't even say his name right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but 
like one of X. As, as much as we X like X, yeah, as much as we like X, like one of the things that he uh, he does is he's not great around the rim if he's not getting foul calls. Uh, and we all kind of know that that officials like to kind of put away their whistles more later in the season and in uh, in tournament play, and they're not as likely to call as many of those like you know body contact kind of uh, calls that that Xavier was kind of getting early in the in the season. So when his free throw rate is high, Missouri is 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 generating a more efficient offense, um, you know, and and they're able to kind of keep those percentages up. But but when he's not getting those calls, he's really missing a lot of <laughs> close in you know two attempts uh, against defense, and and that causes that to kind of sink. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the, the turnovers is something that that is going to help Missouri, but it's not just turnovers. It's 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 long rebounds. It's it's forcing Oklahoma to 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 miss contested shots and then getting that and going quickly. Um, you know, as long as as long as they're they're forcing misses, uh, they're not allowing second shots. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be turnovers, but but still getting those transition opportunities and, and finding a way to to, to score. Uh, against a defense that isn't set is, is very clearly a key for Missouri. What do you guys think? Take me, give me a take for Saturday. It's the, the, the thing I love also about the bracket guys is that it's broken down and analyzed more than, than really anything else, but nobody knows. And, and like, <laughs> I, I don't know if this year it's going to be like, I'm even trying to wonder. And, and you mentioned it, Jared, like we saw in the NBA bubble, like, it was just such a freaking high level of basketball, right? Because guys weren't traveling. You're in essentially practice gyms, the same backdrop. So shooting percentages are going up, but I don't think it was a lack of, of defense necessarily. The basketball is just really, really good here. You've got a bubble, but you've got depth perception stuff. You've got different gyms. You've got just all out of whack. So I don't even think there's any way to correctly project what we think might happen from that standpoint. It's just, I, I know nothing, and that's my excuse for being terrible at brackets every year. The thing, too, is like you, you were talking about the NBA bubble. I just got back from the G League bubble, and the, the talent and the product down there was fantastic. But um, the women, a lot worse looking. Accurate. The, yeah, yeah. It was a joke. <laughs> it's, it's, I, uh, I, I was just thinking through that, though, when you were saying that, because I thought, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. Like, you're, oh, you're, the basketball is so good. You're in a bubble, and you're, you're not traveling, and I think, too, like, when I, you're asking about a projection, like when I look at these two teams, they got really solid players. They got experienced players. I don't know if they have necessarily like a, a pro on the roster. Um, they, they might have some fringe guys. Um, but I do think with both these teams and Missouri in particular, like Missouri's got Xavier Pinson, who I think can get to the second line of Oklahoma's defense at will when he's right. Um, and Sam brings up a good point. He does go to the rim looking for contact and sometimes he doesn't finish at a high level and, and finish like I think he's capable of. I mean, at the end of last year, he was finishing better than we've seen him in his Mizzou career. And this these two teams matched up a year ago. And I mean, Missouri, especially the development of X, that wasn't even seen the first time they met uh, in Kansas City at the Hall of Fame Classic. So, you know, you can't even go off that matchup because X has developed Jeremiah Tillman, uh, has stayed on the floor for most of this year. Knock on wood, he's, he's been really good in that area. And I think if Jeremiah Tillman and Xavier Pinson are playing at, at the level they're playing out and, and X is making three-point shots and they're playing with confidence and playing with swagger, I give the edge to Missouri. Um, but again, I mean, 
it, I go back to what team shows up and Missouri has just had those moments where they're all out of sorts. And I think it's, it starts on when they're not making shots, when they're not getting into any sort of offensive flow or rhythm, they stop guarding, they stop defending like they're capable of. And this is supposed to be a team that hangs their identity on the defensive side of the ball. And when they're giving up, you know, 80, 83, 85 points, they're losing games. And that's not what you would want your, especially for Conzo. That's, that's just not what he demands from his teams. So I, I, I give the edge to Missouri, but I do think it's going to be a, a good game in that regard. Sam. Well, I think the advantage that Missouri also has, uh, I mean, everybody likes Drew Smith. Drew Smith, obviously was a, uh, you know, been an important guy, uh, all SEC, all SEC level this year. Um, but the one area that, uh, and it, it's not that he doesn't get credit, but I think that is often overlooked is Drew's ability to sort of take the opponent's best player out of his game. Uh, if you look at Mizzou's, you know, sort of relative success against Arkansas this year, even though they, they lost two of those games, um, like Moses Moody, who by all accounts um, is a projected lottery pick, projected first round, you know, pick by just about everybody at this point. Uh, was a complete non-factor in, in, in those games, thanks to Drew Smith's defense. Um, so, you know, Drew is capable of, of sort of matching up with and taking the opponent's best player out of their game. Um, you know, and I think where Oklahoma can kind of get in trouble is, is with Austin Reeves. Um, Austin Reeves is a really, really talented guy, uh, but he's also prone to kicking the ball around a little bit. And, and as a guy who, who, does uh, and is sort of a, a primary ball handler for them. If you can, if you can limit his looks, make make his looks more difficult, uh, and force him to turn the ball over, then I think Oklahoma's offense uh, is is something that I, I think maybe you become less concerned about. Um, and I think that's to me that's probably going to be the biggest key for Missouri defensively is is if they match up Drew on Austin Reeves, uh, and if Oklahoma isn't making outside shots with, you know, with like Davion Harmon. Um, I don't really think Harkless is a guy that, that you're worried about, you know, shooting a whole lot from outside. Um, and Jarrett, who's the other guard that I'm forgetting at the moment? Did you say Davion Harmon? Yeah, I said Harmon. Harmon's a guy that I think you're really uh, – Gibson, that's it. Uh, yep. Yeah, so, so you know, guys that are, that are certainly capable of, of shooting well and, and, and scoring the ball, like if those guys are making outside shots, Missouri is going to have a harder time. But to me, like if, if, if they shut down Austin Reeves, I, I think they're able to uh, – I, I think they're going to be able to get past the, the Sooners. And, Deech, you guys want to um, give us your final fours. Have we finalized full – I mean, do you even fill out full brackets? I didn't two years ago, I guess. And it was great because I didn't have to just constantly be reminded of how shitty I am at it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. any other just just, just that, think of this as Carrington a Carrington Harrison uh, team no bracket. Uh, yeah, man. I was, on, and you, I was on board with for that for a few years. But then, yeah, uh, and I'm you know I have two siblings that went to Illinois, and my brother is super invested. You know, and they're fun to watch. I've watched a bunch of them. I'll, I'll root for them. But I mean, just consider this a a quick pre wrap up. Just a little take sesh. If, if you've got any other takes uh, on, on, on the tournament, any other tournament takes you've had holstered? I have just some thoughts about upsets. Because well, takes, I, takes. Takes. Call them by their name, takes. <laughs> yeah, yes. okay. I, got, I got some takes, <laughs> I guess. Um, I, I actually like UC Santa Barbara in the, the matchup. Yes, this is a take. Um, I, got, I like that one. 
we always see an 11 seed in the playing game win their opening round game. And I think Michigan State uh, is a team that's kind of dangerous as an I, I that is if they get past UCLA, but I could see them beating BYU um, and advancing. And obviously, Izzo in March. I mean, let's let's face it. That's that's something that uh, I'll be looking at. And then I think Moorhead State is uh, is one I'm going to be watching, too, in West Virginia. Moorhead State has a bunch of guys that shoot threes and penetrate pitch, and they play with a bunch of pace, and they got a big that can rebound the ball, protect the rim, good finisher. Uh, so they got some pieces there that might be a little dangerous to West Virginia. So I'm going to be watching those upsets. And then for Final Four, I'm a little chalky, but I do have uh, Gonzaga in the Final Four. I have Alabama. I have Illinois and Baylor. So that's my that's my Final Four. Michigan State has literally been like an 11 seed every year the tournament has ever happened. But I saw the uh, I got to get the the right number, but I saw uh trend today at least one 11 seed has made it to the sweet 16 and eight of the last 10 tournaments which that's not groundbreaking because it's generally like you know a power conference team that slips a little bit but they've been utah state wichita state drake michigan state ucla and syracuse yes and syracuse uh i, f- I feel like syracuse is always in that 11 line right uh, yeah yeah, but but they're they're a tough matchup, you know, because it's it's kind of like you know Jarrett mentioned, and and I think both of you guys could sort of talked about already. But you're going into these non basketball warehouses uh, to yeah. shoot, and and they're going to make you take a lot of outside shots. So uh, you know, Syracuse. Which I wonder if that team, helps once we get deeper into the tournament, right? Maybe yeah. we don't see the low scoring Final Four national championships that we usually do. Um, I hope, like I I I hope that Syracuse isn't uh, a threat this year. I. I not a Syracuse fan. Play play some man to man defense. Let's let's get yeah, real. Jim Beheim, <laughs> just stop being such a jerk to everyone. Well, yeah. we should probably we should probably write Loyola Chicago in since Sister Jean is attending games, right? So hey, they're they're a pretty solid eight seed, man. Like uh I think they're underseeded. Like though. Yeah. Well, them and how about them and Illinois? Like that's a fair gripe. And then Oklahoma State down there too. Like the, that's like they took a bunch of the underseeded teams and, and threw them all in the in the same uh, region. Well, that the the South bracket to me is the bracket that I'm m- going to be most curious about, mainly because so I I'm not as high on Arkansas as, as maybe a lot of people, and sitting there at, at the three seed, uh, I just don't know if they have uh, the level of talent. Uh, that that is going to sort of get them to a, a sweet 16 or, or an elite eight. And that first round matchup against Colgate is nothing, nothing to like, you know, they can shoot overlook. Yeah. Like, you know, Colgate's a solid little team. Um, and then to kind of move it to the second round, like Texas tech, Utah state, I, I really like Utah state. I think they're a, a talented team, but Texas tech just plays so hard. Uh, and that's like one of those things like, there are certain teams that, that I think are easier to, to prepare for. And Texas tech is nearly impossible to play for because your, your second unit is never going to play as hard. Uh, and, and until you sort of get into that environment against a Chris Beard team, like you're just, you're just not normally physically ready at the beginning. So uh, it usually takes teams a little bit to, to adjust to that. So I think that'll be an interesting matchup and, and North Carolina um, as an eight seed, as a, a team that's sort of, you know, been playing better in a second, potentially second round matchup against Baylor. Uh, that's a dangerous matchup too, because, you know, Baylor hasn't been playing great. Um, they've been playing better than they were right when they first came off the COVID pause, but 
think you look at uh almost lost to Iowa State when they first came off. Yeah, there have been some spurts of of not Baylory stuff. Yeah, and and the Tar Heels can roll out like like four legitimate bigs that are really hard to keep off the offensive glass. Uh, so they generate a lot of second chance opportunities. Um, you know, that's a game that I think could get uh, at, at the very least, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I do think that the Baylor guards are, are, are going to be a lot better than uh, the, you know, the young guards that North Carolina rolls out. No offense to, to St. Louis native Caleb Love, who uh, still a big fan of. But um, but yeah, that's definitely a second round matchup that, that I'm interested in. And then you look at like Villanova, who's who's struggling at the five seed uh, playing Winthrop, who's, uh, you know, had a terrific season. Purdue, who I just don't know is all that great. Uh, just don't really have a lot of standout guys. That's kind of Matt Painter's MO. That whole like that whole South region to me is is a really really intriguing setup. Just because there's a whole lot of teams with questions. I I, I think you know Baylor Ohio State is a, a really good one too. Um, after that, it's 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 certainly interesting. But my final four, I've got uh, Gonzaga uh, finding a way to squeak past the Missouri Tigers in round two. Mm. Um, I know disappointing, but, uh, I, I'm, well, we'll say it, that Missouri takes them to overtime and Gonzaga hit, hits a half court heave. Uh, that's, that's, a t- up, that's a good take. Yeah. And it ends, ends up on like, you know, the one shining moment for, uh, the next 15 years, having to watch that shot over and over and over again. If Gordon um, Hayward had made it. <laughs> right. Fine, I'm already, uh, and then I'm already so, breaking myself for all the Norfolk video that's about to hit. <laughs> so. That and like the win over Memphis are the only two like Mizzou hoops games where I distinctly remember exactly where I was and exactly how I felt when the game ended. <laughs> yeah, Jared, Jared, who is your your East team? Uh, my East team was uh, let's see, Alabama. Ooh, so nice. yeah, so that's that's a bracket. I do. Uh, I actually I I don't like picking a bracket, um, but I did for Rockham Nation. It has their their little bracket contest. So I went through and just sort of picked games. I actually have LSU upsetting Michigan in round two. Um, if if Livers isn't playing, I think that's a that's a potential definitely uh, yeah. loss for them because LSU can can score it, man. Um, and I I also love the idea of LSU like having some great run and then having to like take that banner down when Will Wade <laughs> just gets hammered by the uh, NCAA. Um, and then so I think I actually had Florida State in the Final Four um, beating you go. beating Alabama uh, in the Elite Eight. And totally the kind of team in these weird circumstances that could do it right with just their depth and defensively what, what Hamilton does and like the length and just, they can make, they can just muck games up and and they could make games really uncomfortable and ugly for whoever they play. I feel like. Yeah. The the key for me, like Alabama, I think is, is so good defensively, but I, you know, the way that they generate offense, I mean, when you're taking half your shots from three point range, like you're going into an environment where it's, there might be some tough shooting nights and I just, I, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to end up in the final four, despite how much I, I really love their defense. Um, but if, if they make shots all the way through, I mean, they're absolutely a final four team. I do need a parting NFL take uh, as well, Jared. I was just going to say, don't sleep on Georgetown either. Um, they're, they're kind of sneaky. Oh yeah. Well. Oh man. Ewing is like, I would run like into like through the gates of hell for that man right now. He had me fired <laughs> up over the, come on, man. That yep. dude is the best. Like seeing him, seeing Juwan Howard, like seeing some of these guys, you know, like, cause it hardly ever works, right? Like the star player 
coaching or going back to their alma mater. It's just, it's, it's fun from just like a storyline perspective. And yeah, his whole thing about how they should recognize him at Madison square garden. Cause that's my banner <laughs> hanging up. Hell yeah, man. Even though I hated those Knicks teams growing up. Sorry, I, I, Jerry, you had a Georgetown take though. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I just was saying, I, 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 they're, they're an interesting team as a 12. I, I actually kind of like them. They got it's kind of the first question I asked, right? Like these teams that are power that have this talent, but are kind of painted as underdogs because maybe they lost a bunch of games this year in weird circumstances. Like we mentioned Georgetown, we mentioned North Carolina. Like I think that's what, what I was kind of getting at. No, I got four guys that score in double figures and they're playing so much better. I always look to teams that are trending and I hate to say it because Oklahoma and Missouri aren't really trending in the right direction as we start the, the tournament, but they're, they're playing really well and they're playing inspired ball and motivated and they're sharing the ball really well. And, they're playing so much better defensively too. So I, w- I wouldn't sleep on them. And then I, I got to give my NFL hot take, right? Is yes, that- please. That- that I've been waiting. Yes. So I'm going to just, my hot take is just going to stick with the theme of the chiefs free agency. And I'll, I'll say the chiefs signed Trent Williams and he becomes Sam. Would that surprise you? Uh, considering I don't really remember who Trent Williams is, it, it would very much surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Sam. Nice try. Now oh, the rich get richer, right? Exactly what uh, the Chiefs fans are going to be like. They're going to be the new Patriot fans. I'm Googling Trent Williams right now. Yeah. The, he's a, he's he, you know what he does, Sam, the things that he can, uh, we don't even need to talk about the things that he can do the way he can impact the game because it's kind of obvious in my eyes. But that would be that would be a thing that that could be big. Yeah. And Chris Trent Williams. Your your comment about like the, the Chiefs fans that are gonna be like hated now with the Mahomes. Era. No, I don't mean hated. I mean spoiled. I, I, I don't oh, mean hated. Sure. I said that I like Tom Brady. I've got a lot of family in Boston. I just mean unless it's the Super Bowl every year, it's like, oh God, poor us, you know? I think Mahomes is so much more likable than Brady, and I think Reed is so much more likable than Belichick. And that's why I'm like, yes, I think they're going to be like, I think the Chiefs for sure is it's the word spoiled is probably the right word. But I also think like the way Mahomes and Reed carry themselves is so much different. than. I think that's true. Yeah. Just but, you know, who knows? There are just certain there are certain fan bases that I'm just jealous of, like because they're always in the mix. Like I've got a couple of buddies who are huge, uh, you know, who went to Michigan State or huge Michigan State fans. I'm like, you always generally are in the mix, like in hoops, buddies that went to Syracuse, like you're always in the mix. Now they're not likable, but you're always in the mix. And I've never, never really had that in my life, guys. I've (laughs) never really had that team. It's always the mix, except for the Jordan years uh, with the bulls when I was too young to, you know, enjoy it like I would now. So that's just, that. that's where it comes from. Jared, it's all love. That's it. It's all love. I, 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 that, that makes total sense too. I, I feel that. Especially you, you hit it on the head. Like when I'm thinking of Mizzou in the NCAA tournament and thinking like we haven't been to a final four <laughs> sad memories. It, it just like, <laughs> I just kind of scratched my head. I mean, I'm sitting here picking Alabama to go to a, the final four and I'm like, man, if Alabama's going to the final four and I'm putting them in the final four and I agree with, with Sam, they're, they're beatable, but I just keep thinking like, where, where are we at right now with Mizzou's <laughs> program? And, and where are we moving? What direction are we going right now? God, that's what Alabama needs is to have a little success in their athletic program. My God. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like the rich get richer, right? So, well, maybe we'll be talking, uh, maybe we'll be talking Monday morning, previewing a little Mizzou Gonzaga. We'll take it one step at a time. <laughs> one step at a time, one possession at a time, survive in advance. One NFL take at a time. Sam Stelling, Jared Sutton. Thanks boys. Thanks guys. It's always fun.